Ravi Zacharias uh, once said that if you want to grow stronger in your faith, besides doing the normal things like reading God's Word and meditating on it and praying and the things that are essential, you can do one other thing that's really critical for all of us to do, and that is to find someone who has suffered greatly and to listen to them. Find someone who has suffered greatly and to listen to them. Someone who has suffered greatly but in the suffering has not jettisoned their faith. Find someone who has suffered greatly, have held on to Christ through thick and thin, and listen to them. This morning's message is really all about that. This morning we have this privilege in the Gospel of Mark of kind of seeing the lay of the land as we go through chronologically the chapters and verses. And this morning a rather ambitious goal that I have is that we're going to look at four stories together. And we're going to look at some of the main themes that Mark includes in these four stories that are like uh, themes that are like connective tissue that connect story to story, narrative to narrative, and in the doing so, what Mark is doing is he's painting a bigger picture of a bigger God that does bigger things in our lives, that has the long view in our lives, and wants to see something transformative happen. And so he he piles up a whole bunch of little stories so that we'll get the point because the sub-themes are like rivers that run through our subconscious even after we've stopped reading the story. So my goal this morning would be that we would take some of these themes, the connective tissues of these stories, and apply them to our own lives. Because I believe that we'll grow stronger in our faith when we hear from somebody that has suffered greatly and kept their faith or began their journey of faith as a result of that suffering. So would you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5 with me? Mark chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. But at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, "'Who touched my clothes?' You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. 
And the woman then, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? But ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but only asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. May God bless his word to us today. You may be seated. Four stories, one theme. And the theme is the power of a faith encounter with Jesus Christ. For some of us, God has to deal a severe mercy to get our attention. And for others, he says things like, he said to the apostles, some of them on the shores of Galilee, hey you, come, follow me. And they left everything and followed him. And then the tests of faith came later in life. This morning, some of you will identify deeply with the four stories that we're going to look at, and some of you less so. But I believe by the end of the sermon and today, we will all have something to take home and to apply So let's begin by just taking a look quickly at the four stories, revealing again the details. Going back to chapter 4, our first story is the day that Jesus taught all day by the shores and was tired, but instead of getting and going to to sleep somewhere, he said to his disciples in chapter 4, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. And so they made a journey that night, and in the middle of the night we read in chapters 4, verses 35 to 41, about a storm that came up on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat, and the storm is raging, and even though these men are experienced fishermen, they despair of life, and they cry out, and they wake Jesus. And he rebukes the storm, and the wind and the waves die down, and then Jesus says, why did you not trust me? They said to him, don't you care that we drown? That's the first story. They respond by saying, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? They arrive on the other side of the shore of Galilee, the sea, uh, the east side, and almost immediately Jesus is accosted by a man who is influenced, under the influence of a legion of demons, a madman. And he comes to Jesus, and uh, uh, he has been a man that has been chained Many people had tried to put him under guard, under chain. People were afraid to pass by that area because of him. He lived among the tombstones. 
He came up to Jesus, and Jesus asks him his name, and Jesus delivers him from not just one or two, but a legion of demons, so many so that 2,000 pigs rush into the Sea of Galilee and are drowned because Jesus cast them out of him and into the herd of pigs. And uh, the whole town hears about this and shows up to to see what's going on, and they're so afraid of this kind of power that Jesus wields that they beg him to leave. And of course, the man also is begging to leave the area too, but Jesus says, no, you go home. You go home, and you tell those around your area what mercy you've received from God. It's very interesting that the very next time that we read about Jesus visiting this area, a lot of people were ready for him in the Decapolis. Chapter 7, verse 31 of Mark talks about that. The third story is about the woman that's sick and has a bleeding disease for 12 years. And she's exhausted every possible means of getting over this. She's talked to every doctor she knows. She's uh, uh, exhausted all of her resources financially. And, And she finally hits the streets publicly. She's not supposed to leave her home. She has an unclean, bleeding illness that by the law of Moses stated you had to be quarantined. But she throws it all aside and she goes in search of this rabbi Jesus that she's been hearing about. She wants to keep it secret. She sneaks up behind him, touches his cloak, and receives this healing. At the very same moment that she feels in her body that this is disappearing, Jesus feels in his body that power had gone out from him. Amazing. Instead of letting her go, I'm sure she wanted to bolt home. Instead, by the time she gets ready to think on that, Jesus has already turned around and is scanning the crowd. She had to go public. And she came forward and Jesus met her. Then there's the woman, or the man Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler. He has met Jesus on the shores of Galilee. He has met Jesus in the synagogue. And all of his colleagues have warned him about Jesus. He's not one you're going to get tangled. He's teaching what is contrary to the law of Moses. He, he's not with us. He's against us. But things have gotten so desperate that this man, Jairus, finally goes to Jesus. And you know the story we just read that on, on the way with Jesus to his home... Jesus gets sidetracked with this woman with the bleeding disease. If if Jesus was an emergency room doctor, he would be sued for malpractice. He's letting one patient die in another room while he's looking around the crowd for somebody that maybe touched him. And we can imagine in our minds this man wringing his hands while Jesus is looking around the crowd, and my daughter's back home dying. critical moment of faith comes when the report comes back she's dead and Jesus says just believe now this woman and this man this woman with the bleeding disease and the synagogue ruler they're on they couldn't be more on opposite ends of the social spectrum a woman that is unclean and now absolutely poor and a man that is a Jewish leader and fairly well off because of his profession. So those are the four stories. Now let's take a look at the lessons that we have. And you'll take your green sheet of paper that was in your bulletin. You'll notice that there are three things I'd like to comment on that are the, the, the connective tissue, the strands that bring these four stories together. And the first thing is the timing of God. 
The point I'm making in this is that God often allows things to get worse in our lives before it gets better because he has greater purposes in mind. Another way we might look at this question is that we often allow uh, things to get worse in our lives before they get better because we don't call out to Jesus. So you can look at it from the timing of God and you can look at it from the timing of us getting desperate enough to call out to God in each of these cases. With regards to the disciples in the boat, we can be certain that there was an escalating of intensity on this storm. It did just not just kind of appear out of nowhere. These were fishermen. They knew the, the sea, and yet they had allowed the storm to get out of hand so that they had to cry out to Jesus before they woke him. They were uh, despairing of life itself. And uh, Jesus never rebukes them for waking him up. Jesus never rebukes us for calling out to him. He never rebukes us for calling out to him. What Jesus rebuked the disciples for was doubting and having so little faith and saying, don't you care that we drown? Of course I care. I'm Jesus. I'm the sovereign Lord. When I was at the right hand of my Father in heaven, I controlled the wind and the waves. Now that I'm on the earth for 33 years, I still control the wind and the waves. And if I say, speak and be still, they'll be still. And yet they're saying to themselves, who is this? Who is that, this that even the wind and the waves obey? See, they didn't know him. The most important encounter that Jesus had that night was not the encounter with the storm, but with his disciples. And so, thirdly, the demonized man also lets ponder the timing of God. Surely there was a season in this man's life when he was not harassed by a legion of demons. Maybe there was no demonization on this man at one point. Or maybe there was just one demon that he had allowed to get a foothold in his life or something. Somehow, there's got to be a time earlier in his life when it wasn't so horrific. When he wasn't such a wretch. When he wasn't such a madman. And so under the influence of so many demonic powers... We're not given the reason why Jesus didn't visit this area earlier or why he didn't call out to God earlier. And the woman with the bleeding illness. We read in Mark chapter 5, verse 26, that she had suffered under the care of many doctors and had spent that all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This woman goes in search of Jesus not until she has exhausted every avenue of self-help. Is there not a lesson in that for us? Exhaust every human means possible, and now I guess it's time to pray. And so all of her money was gone. Every doctor she knew could not help. And as a last resort, she hits the streets looking for Jesus. It is clear from this text that she is not interested in a relationship with Christ. She knew that it would be treacherous to be caught publicly while under the curse of being unclean. And it should remind us that there are a lot of things that keep people from faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just stubborn pride. Oftentimes it is incredible shame and guilt that lock people up and do not permit them to come to Jesus. Do not prejudge your non-Christian friends or family members. There are a lot of things that lock people up. But think about the timing of God in this woman's life. Why, why had she not gone in search of Jesus a few dollars earlier and a few doctors earlier? 
Why did she have to exhaust every means? Why did not Jesus move into her life earlier? Then there's Jairus, a synagogue ruler, the only man that's named by name in this list of stories. He's a man of influence, a Jewish leader. Perhaps we cannot comprehend the humbling that he had to experience to go to Jesus. And I wonder if at home it, it, was, it was more his wife that maybe caused him to finally take action. You know, he, he was under the constraint of all of his colleagues that said, have nothing to do with that man, Jesus. But finally, as his daughter is near death, he caves and he goes and he falls begging Jesus to come with him. It's a reminder to me, it's a picture to me of, of, of how many of us as parents fall on our knees and beg Jesus to be merciful upon our children and to bring them to, to himself and to s seal them in himself. That's what it resonates with me here. And so, friends, here we have four stories. And the first lesson I'm underlining is this, that, that in all cases, God's timing is perfect, that God allows things to get worse for us before they get better sometimes because he has greater purposes in mind. And the other side of that is that he often waits until we get desperate enough to truly seek him with all of our hearts. And he knows exactly the measure of desperation that will be needed before you do that. The second point, as you'll notice in your insert, is the gaze of God. He longs for a relationship with us that will endure long past the solution to your last problem or need. You see, we are so need and problem focused that we, we eclipse God Almighty in the focus upon our needs and problems. But when Jesus looks at us, he sees a bigger picture. And so we can imagine Jesus asleep in the boat, uh, and we can imagine him being starkly awakened with a storm raging around him and the terrified disciples ahead of him. And after he rebukes the wind and the waves and everything was calm again, I can imagine that the gaze of Jesus goes toward the disciples who are in the boat with him, and he looks right into their eyes, and he says, Why? Why did you doubt? Why were you so afraid? Of course, the answer is they did not know him yet. They asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, Jesus is more interested in those kinds of interactions than he is with solving our most recent or current problem. What about the demoniac that they find on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, another personal encounter with a wild man, a Jewish rabbi getting out of the boat and entering this, this unclean territory, being accosted by an unclean man that lives among the tombs that's harassed by a legion of demons, and all for the sake of freeing one man. That's all that trip was about. All for the sake of freeing one man, setting him free and getting into relationship with the risen Son of God. In chapter 5, verse 9, we read that Jesus asked the man his name. There's no question that Jesus was looking him in the eye when he said, what is your name? He wanted relationship with this man. And after his deliverance, Jesus is about to leave the area, and we read in chapter 5, verse 19, that the man begs to go with him, and Jesus says, no, you go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how the Lord has had mercy on you. 
And you might say to me this morning, well, if Jesus was so interested in personal relationship, then why didn't he allow the man to go with him? If he was so interested in this man staying close to Jesus, then why didn't he let him go? Well, the answer is it's, very, it's the very reason because he is interested in personal relationship that he didn't let him go. Because this man went home in the area of the Decapolis, the ten cities of that Gentile area. He went home. He shared with his family about the mercy of the Lord and his neighbors and all over that region so that the next time we see Jesus visit that area, chapter 7, verse 31 of Mark, we find that there are all kinds of people waiting for Jesus and they're ready to lay down all their problems to Jesus and they're looking for him. And because of this one man's obedience, many, many more came into relationship with Jesus Christ. What about the woman in Mark chapter 5 that was healed? She was not interested in getting to know Jesus, snuck up on him, snatched some power, got what she came for, was ready to bolt. And then Jesus looked at her. The gaze of God. Can you imagine as Jesus turned around, he's just gazing, getting eye contact with individual all through. Just an instance before that, she was ready to bolt, head home. I'm done. I'm out of here. I got what I came for. But then Jesus' eyes met her eyes, and she melted. She just melted. The eternal God saw right through her soul. And then the faith response, she just came forward, and she just told the whole truth. And then she got way more than what she came for. She, she heard Jesus say, you know what? You're healed. Now you can go, but don't just go. Go in peace. Go with real peace. And then there's Jairus, the synagogue ruler. We can be certain that it required a severe problem to humble him. The plight of his daughter led him to this, and after witnessing a woman being healed, he has the faith to go with Jesus, even though the report has come that his father, or his daughter is dead. And Jairus also got way more than he bargained for. I can imagine that, again, the eyes of Jesus met Jairus' eyes after the report. And they said, don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus met his eyes and said, don't doubt, only believe. And in that instance, he had enough desperate faith to just hang on to that and go with Jesus. And so the gaze of God met these people. Jesus looked through them, into them. He wanted them to understand that he was looking for personal relationship. He did not want to just be the solution to their current or last problem or need. He, 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 he said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What would be good if Jesus met these four groups of people in their greatest immediate need and then at the end of their earthly life they die and go to a Christless eternity? What good would that be? Jesus wanted relationship. And what is eternal life? John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. There's no other eternal life, friends. There's only eternal dying as a contrary. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus was earnest that he, they, these people got to know him. 
And so, thirdly, the blessings of God. He shows us his mercy and love in many ways, some of which might not be interpreted as blessing at the time. If we examine the circumstances of each of these cases, these four individuals, when they went through, what they went through brought them closer to Jesus. We see that there was a blessing wrapped up in a problem in each of their lives. And if we examine them, we see a pattern, don't we? I was going to try and put that on that green sheet of paper, but I'm very Microsoft Word challenged. And so I was going to put little boxes, but it's clear that a calamity leads to a crisis, which leads to calling out, which leads to some kind of deliverance, which leads to some faith response. That's, that's what we can see in, in all four. Look at them. First of all, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, they faced a, Christ, a calamity, a problem. It, it was facing crisis proportions. It led them to call out to Jesus, wake him up. He wakes up, he calms the storm, and the response in faith is, wow, who is this? We never saw this part of you, Jesus. The demoniac, the man, an incredible chaotic life leading to a crisis point. He was going to either kill everybody that came by there or kill himself. It came to a crisis point. And he cries out to Jesus, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Jesus delivers him from a legion of demons and the faith response comes and he says, Let me go with you. Then the woman that has the bleeding disorder, it hits a crisis point. He's got a problem, hits a crisis point, exhausted every doctor, exhausted all of her resources, got to go and find out. She calls out to Jesus, except she does it in a sly way. She sneaks up behind him. She wants to be done with it. Jesus calls her to go public. And she responds with faith, and she comes forward, and she tells the whole truth, it says. And then the man, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, had a problem big time. His daughter was dying. Calamity in his home. Terror. Incredible, incredible problem. What do I do? The only one I know in this town that I know of that could maybe help my daughter now is this Jesus guy. He goes, the, the crisis comes. He's ready to die. He calls out to Jesus. He's on his knees begging right on the beach at the shores of Galilee. Jesus meets him in that and and he heals and raises this girl from the dead. So the three points this morning, the timing of God. God will allow things to get worse in your life sometimes before getting better because he's got a greater purpose in mind. Number two, the gaze of God. He will look you in the eye. He longs for a relationship with you. That relationship will endure long past him solving your most recent problem. And thirdly, the blessing of God. The blessing of God will show up in a way that will not always be identified as blessing. He shows us his mercy and his love in so many ways, and sometimes we will not interpret it at the time as blessing. But it is blessing. Now, I'm not to suggest by using these four stories that Jesus always meets us solves our problems and we can go merrily on. It's not that way. I remember reading this past week about Martin Luther who at the time 
uh, one, at one time in his life, he had a 14-year-old daughter, Magdalena, who was dying of the plague. And, and she, was, she was suffering so greatly, Martin Luther would kneel at her bed, pleading with God just to end the pain. Take her home. Do what you need to do. She died of the plague. And we read that Martin Luther, brokenhearted, fell beside the, the, the coffin as the carpenters came in to the very bedroom with the coffin. And as they were nailing the lid on the coffin of this 14-year-old girl of Martin Luther's that had died, he falls upon the coffin and he cries out, Hammer away! Because on doomsday she'll rise again because of Jesus. You see, we don't always get deliverance in this world. We don't always get the ideal, our ideal answer to prayer, but we believe in a sovereign God that will be our deliverer, if not right now, one day. And it's in His sovereign grace as to when and how He answers our prayer. Well, as I shared with you earlier, one of the things that you can do to stretch and strengthen your faith besides the very necessary daily practices of reading the Word of God and of praying and being in communion with God, is you can get your life close to someone who has suffered greatly and has kept faith through the suffering. And I'm going to ask Regan Moses to come now and to share with us her sufferings and how her faith has been strengthened through that time. Regan, would you come? God bless you.